Today is uh, Palm Sunday, as you can see from our, uh, our decoration today. Uh, and that means it's our final uh, Sunday of Lent before next week as we culminate Lent with Good Friday. Uh, and then we will celebrate Easter Sunday next week in person together. That means that uh, today's is the final week in our effort to give up false beliefs for Lent. And we've saved one of the more significant ones for last. Uh, the, today we're talking about the false belief of wrath and punishment, specifically that surround Jesus's crucifixion. Uh, this is something that torments many, leads a lot to confusion and doubt and shame, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna unpile a lot of that stuff today. You are not alone if you uh, find it inconsistent or problematic or shaming the way Jesus's uh, Jesus' death on the cross is presented, often as substitution in the vast majority of American churches. I wonder if that word substitution evokes some of the things that you might have heard before in church settings, as though God needs someone to be punished and Jesus substitutes himself for us who really deserve that punishment. That is often taught in churches, and we're going to be pushing away from that today. Uh, today, uh, on Palm Sunday, as we begin Holy Week, this final week of Lent, we march toward Good Friday, we want to offer uh, some ways to shift your consideration of Jesus on the cross away from that substitution idea. We do hope that this really this morning's discussion really uh, inspires a meaningful observance of Holy Week for you. There is a reason this is an annual rhythm in the church, and it's not that you need to be reminded how depraved and rotten you are and how Jesus took your place. And so you better, you know, you better not waste Jesus' sacrifice. That's not what uh, Friday, uh, Good Friday is about. Uh, so to help me today uh, with what our hope is, uh, I am going to yet again invite in one of our more theologically minded individuals in our community. So excited to say hi to Lester Mitchell. Hey, Lester. Hey. Good to see you, sir. Glad you're here. Uh, you all may recognize Lester from behind the drum kit on Sundays at Brownline, uh, and he has also joined us in a speaking capacity before when we have discussed things like Jesus on the cross because it's an area of theology where I believe Lester has a lot of uh, particular insight and knowledge. So um, as we dive in, we, we've been get, beginning each of these discussions of Lent with kind of like, what are the experiences of this false belief that we know? So Lester, can you give us an example or two of confusion or doubt or shame or whatever that you've witnessed or that you've experienced around wrath and punishment and Jesus on the cross? Yeah, one of the first things I think about is actually just a friend of mine um, who's agnostic. Uh, back whenever I was in late high school, early college, somewhere around there, inviting her to a bit of a youth group type of thing that we were doing. It wasn't specifically through the church. It was actually a bunch of us that I had met through the punk and metal scene that happened to be religious. And we wanted a space where, you know, we could all feel seen and, you know, we could relate because we didn't feel like we fit in quite as much in the. Because you were so part. punk, Lester. You were so we were punk. So punk. <laughs> we were so cool. We were too cool for school. So, you know, we needed our own space. Um, but whenever I invited her over, we got to talking about kind of what people's beliefs were and what their hangups were. And a big thing for her was not only the, the crucifixion, but how it relates to original sin as well. And so what she was telling us was just this idea that we're all sinners, we're all evil, <laughs> we all suck. 
and that we were so bad that we deserve death. It seems a bit overkill and it, it made sense. You know, we were, we often talk about the love of God and, and the love of Jesus to then say, but God just like had to kill someone. And so he took it on for all of that. Us seems a bit contradictory. So. Yeah. And uh, it, it's sort of, I have so many friends who kind of fall in that same category of like, I, when that's the message that you're pitched, I really don't blame you for ending up leaving something behind. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I wonder how many people that, you know, there's so many folks who I think that's their story where they, um, they encounter this idea of substitution, this wrathful punishing God that Jesus is a substitute for our, the, the punishment that we deserved. And I think a lot of people leave it behind as your uh, friend did. I wonder how many people who maybe they, they have like grown up firmly entrenched in a church environment. And so they struggle with shame or intense anxiety right. as a result of these uh, messages. Like there's even a psychologically classified form of uh, OCD called scrupulosity. Uh, and the, I, don't, I wonder if anybody's ever heard of this. It's uh, scrupulosity is uh, crippling anxiety that's um, all based on following moral or religious rules. Uh, it's an intense fear of punishment, an intense fear of being seen as bad. Um, in my experience as a pastor, I've never uh, dealt with somebody who's clinically experiencing scrupulosity, but I've met many people who are just like full of shame and anxiety. They're constantly wondering whether they're right with God. And that that's a, that's a fear that kind of lives in the background for them. When it just like proportionally, like you were saying, Lester, it's like, but like, I, I, we're, you know, we're talking about like what you guys are in like high school or college. Like, I'm not sure there's things that you're doing, you know, as just like a bunch of kids getting together that are worthy of punishment of death, (laughs) but you're dealing with that level of anxiety around it. Uh, For me personally, I think like the problem is I feel I feel a lot of confusion and inconsistency with the whole like Jesus being a substitute. Like it's always felt like it's painted a split personality picture of God. Like there's there is loving Jesus, but then there is wrathful, punishing Father God and who, who needs blood, you know. And uh, and I, I like I did grow up in a a home that exposed me to. Uh, the Bible or like, you know, specific ways to pray. But when I did become a praying person, this, this message being brought to me after my initial experience of faith, which was finding comfort after I'd lost my mom to cancer, they just didn't match. Like I have this like comforting God that is full of love and like bringing me into something that I, I was longing for. But then there's this message that evidently I had to swallow if I'm following the Christian God, which is that God wants to kill me, but doesn't because of Jesus. I, I, that just never worked for me. And I, I suppose mostly just because I like, uh, I'm, I have like obsessive compulsive tendencies that I was like annoyed enough with that message, but also like captivated enough with the experience that I'd had. Like, I need to find something different. I need to, I need to find a better um, message about what's happening. If, if the God that I met is Jesus, the cross can't mean this because that just doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are, this is the question that we want to sort of, um, unpack today, uh, Lester and I, what are different ways to consider Jesus's crucifixion that don't leave us stuck in either we leave it behind, uh, like Lester's friend, it feels inconsistent like me, or it feels like shame and anxiety for those individuals who experience that. What are ways that we can leave um, 
leave leave the wrath and punishment behind, uh, but see Jesus as something else. I I, I do want to say before we dig into a couple of examples of this, um, Jesus as substitute is really like taken for granted in America as like that's what that that's what that's what Jesus is about. That's what the gospel is. That's what Christianity is. We, those use those words are often used interchangeably to talk about you are a sinner and you need Jesus to uh, die for you or else you deserve God's punishment. Uh, but actually that's only, um, it's, that's only become, uh, the way that we've understood Jesus on the cross in the last 500 years. So that, that's a, that's kind of an important thing to think about is that this way that, uh, that, that Jesus has talked about, that the cross has talked about is relatively new in history for the first 1500 years of people uh centering their lives on the person and the teachings of jesus there they conceived of what happened when jesus died in a different way and uh, and some of what we're going to talk about is going to uh grab at some of the more original uh suggestions of what of what uh what jesus's death meant and then in other ways we're going to be uh, relying on more new scholarship that is in response to this idea of jesus as substitute uh in in a nutshell, what we're going to be pitching here is two things. And so uh, Lester and I are going to take turns. First, we're going to talk about seeing Jesus's crucifixion as solidarity. And then we're going to talk about seeing Jesus's crucifixion as breaking cycles of revenge. These are two minority views. They are not dominant. They are not the popular ideas of what uh, what Jesus's crucifixion means. That the popular idea is substitution. But by no means does this mean that these minority views are thin or like lacking in any way. These have uh, these have some of the most important and uh, and powerful thinkers and writers about Christianity behind them. And uh, and if if having a firm basis in the Bible is important to you these views have a much stronger and broader biblical support than Jesus as substitute, even though that is what's often suggested to us, that Jesus substitute is Bible-based. Uh, we're going to push against that today. So, uh, Lester, let me leave it to you for this first one. Can you fill out a little bit for us the idea of Jesus on the cross as solidarity? Yeah, so I want to hit on it in two different points, kind of jesus suffering with us and jesus being with us um starting with the jesus suffering with us gonna go straight into something relatively heavy that i think we've talked about before which is the similarities of the cross and lynchings um we get this out of black liberation theology and and the there are a lot of striking similarities between the two both the physical being hung and lit. If anyone knows how the cross works, it actually suffocates you. So a lot of physical similarities that are kind of heavy. And then also what I would call like spectacle similarities. So we, whenever we read the Bible, we see that Jesus was mocked on the cross. We see that him ending up on the cross was a bit of a mob justice, you could say. And we see the same with lynchings. A lot of lynchings were big spectacles. People hung around. They made, you know, an event out of it. Pictures were taken. Um, victims were mocked. And yeah, it was just a big spectacle. Kind of hard to think through or 
hard to deal with, but I think it's important for us to actually think about it in that way. Um, something that Cohn kind of points at, who wrote The Cross and the Lynching Tree, um, is that you can't really get a full picture of God, um, of the Jesus story, without Black theology, without understanding Black people's position in America. And I think the lynchings is a large part of that. Even though it's heavy to think about, when you actually think about the victims of those lynchings, and then you think about what Jesus went through, you then begin to understand why some Black people really do cling to the Jesus story so much. Jesus really suffered the way our ancestors suffered. Um, Cone also has this really great quote that I love uh, that is, one is the universal symbol of the Christian faith, which is the cross, and the other uh, symbol of Black oppression, um, which are lynchings. Why that strikes me so much is it, it pushes at this idea of our Savior coming from a social space that they shouldn't come from. Um, someone who was, again, mocked, embarrassed, killed amongst thieves because they wanted to paint him as, you know, this terrible lawbreaker. And in all that pain and all the hurt, the humility, the humility, humiliation, we have someone that we view as a savior, someone who pointed us in the best direction to live our lives and taught us to love others. And so, yeah, that's one of the ways that we can think of Jesus' solidarity is, is Jesus really suffering with us, um, Jesus with us in our suffering, next to us by our side, I was going to say the 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 thing that strikes me in that is how different it is from the the images that get um, that get painted about Jesus when we start from uh, like a the substitution place are like there's this very like um, plan from the beginning of time and like you know like uh, very like. Uh, in control. And again, like it, it, it paints a lot of this idea that like God really wants this to happen or needs this to happen. Whereas what you are talking about is, and what, what James Cohn, who you're referencing is talking about it, is it's trying to help us. Um, we, we actually have a much more contemporary historical uh, thing that is in our, that that's in our, our consciousness that can help us understand what was really happening. What would have been the tone, the emotion, the feelings, the experience of being in such a space like Jesus's crucifixion? We actually don't have to do much imagining if we consider the experience of Black people in America. Absolutely, and it, it's it, again heavy, hard, hard to deal with. Um, but we have actual imagery of that. And that's another thing. Like we we see paintings and sculptures of, of Jesus. On the cross when we think about the similarities between the cross and lynchings we have actual photos of lynchings that are extremely hard to look at um but that is what jesus went through whenever we we draw these parallels 
And so, and like I, I, the question I want to ask is like, what do we make of that quote that you mentioned about like how we have on one side, we've made this the universal symbol that we just kind of look at and don't even think about anymore because it's everywhere. But then we have this thing that because it is more contemporary, because it, 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 it pokes at some of the greatest sin in America's story, uh, you know, it's hard to look at. What, what do we do to bridge that gap? How do we, how do we re-see the cross in a way that, uh, why is it so important that we see the cross in, in that way, like a lynching? I think it's about solidarity uh, with marginalized people, um, people who've been oppressed around the world, which can be anyone, right? Um, anyone of, of any racial or ethnic background, we see what's happening uh, in the Ukraine currently. It happens around the world. And I, I think it's really about centering oppressed people. I think that's the the biggest importance of um, this parallel between the cross and the lynching tree is really centering oppressed people in your theology um, and kind of like how you see God operating in the world. It's funny, it's, it's this thing, I, I believe my dad said it, but I'm pretty sure plenty of people have said it before that that sometimes those oppressed people are like the wisest people you'll meet. Sometimes it's sometimes it's the unhoused who are the wisest people you meet, and it, it's um, because they've they understand the system that makes it hard for them yes. to be housed. You know, um, sometimes it's those fleeing conflict and uh, being stopped at the border that are going to be the most wise about the situation because they're the ones fleeing the conflict and being prohibited from, you know, being in a safer space. Yeah. I think a central scripture for this approach to understanding Jesus' crucifixion would be, uh, it's a scripture that's one of the most quoted in the New Testament. It's from Proverbs. So Proverbs uh, 3.34 is that God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And, uh, and that, that, that shows up, it's, it's quoted in uh, James, it's quoted in Peter, it is, uh, it's uh, restated in, in different ways by Jesus himself in the Gospels. And so uh, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble is kind of a, a heartbeat of, uh, of this approach to uh, Jesus' cross being about solidarity, solidarity with suffering. And the, the, the humble in this world, the marginalized, those with their backs against the wall, will know Jesus more because they experience more suffering. And uh, yeah, so I, th- I, I love the way that you've brought this together. Um, I just want to make sure that was there, was there another thread you wanted to follow on, uh, on yeah. Jesus as solidarity? Yeah. Um, so the other thing I want to talk about is something that I think many of us actually may be familiar with. Um, for those of us here who were raised in the church, I feel like this is mentioned plenty of times. Um, and it's more so about us thinking about where the emphasis is. Um, and that's that Jesus is God and God came down in a human body to spend life with us, suffer with us, um, eat with us, you know, spend life with us. And that to me is the most baseline idea of solidarity is, is to be among the community in need and to live life with them. So that's something I certainly, I certainly heard the, you know, God came down to earth plenty of times growing up. It's just that 
it the emphasis gets switched right at the yes. cross for whatever yes. reason for whatever reason he's doing life with us this entire time um but then, but then when we get to the cross time. it changes exactly <laughs> we get to the cross and it's like well i have to die now or else like everyone else must die you know it, it's it's very inconsistent to your yeah. point earlier um and so i think it's more of just us reframing that emphasis you know yeah. that the cross is also solidarity as jesus yeah. life was solidarity yeah i think that makes total sense to see this pivotal moment in jesus's life as a continuum with the rest of jesus's life <laughs> not as something that suddenly does something different as though uh, oh, we were we were handling one thing, but then oh, we got to handle that other thing now. It's all a part of the same story. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Well, okay, let me take a second minority perspective, and and there's overlap with these two, so I think you'll find that they they interface well together. Uh, but a second minority idea on Jesus uh, on the cross is uh, it, it's also something you may be familiar with if you've uh, been around Brown Line for a little while. It shows up in footnotes sometimes when we sing certain songs, or we'll periodically message um, uh, mention this in messages. Uh, the idea is simply that. The cross is not about God demanding punishment or blood, but about humanity demanding punishment or blood. We sang some songs this morning that kind of uh, resonate with that. The cross is not about a God that demands blood. We demand blood often as humanity because we are broken and hurt and we try to take that out on other people. This demand uh, for, for blood uh, that we see uh, represented sometimes in scriptures or represented in a lot of Christian theology over the years is humanity projecting that onto God. Uh, but it's not, it's not God's solution to problems. It's, it's what we try to do to solve our problems. So this idea uh, was first suggested by uh, a historian and an anthropologist, a guy named Ray, Rene Girard. Uh, and he saw this idea of scapegoating, which is blaming somebody else for your problems. He saw that as sort of one of the age old harmful patterns of human civilization. We just time and time again, as uh, across history, across cultures, we just do this rivalry or conflict becomes unmanageable in a civilization. Everybody's fighting each other for the same resources or the same land or the same things. And the powerful people in a group come together and decide on a scapegoat to blame everyone's problems on so that people stop fighting. But so that that demand for somebody to be punished is still met. And that's what scapegoating is. We decide on someone to be the be to blame, even though that's not really solving the problem because we're still solving a problem by like hurting somebody. Uh, so in America, an endless revolving door of immigrant peoples uh, have been scapegoated for our whole history. In the early 90s, in Rwanda, in East Africa, or in the Balkans and uh, Southern Europe, minority ethnic groups in those peoples were scapegoated. Uh, in the Holocaust, Jews were scapegoated. In the Salem witch trials, women who were perceived dangerous were scapegoated. In churches, LGBTQ individuals have been scapegoated for many, many years. Uh, and it just, this, this, this plays out in cultures everywhere. Um, in, in some ways we can read the entire Hebrew Bible as the Israelites constantly confronting their own history of being scapegoated and then being tempted to scapegoat themselves, somebody else. Uh, and that, that's sort of the story of the Hebrew Bible. Um, the scapegoat is usually a marginalized person. That's the other thing that really uh, is, in, in a lot of ways, we see the overlap with, uh, with what Lester was bringing. If the, if, this, 
if a scapegoat was not a marginalized person, they might be able to like resist and and say, no, the powerful people can't do this to me. Uh, but often what happens is when we're looking for somebody to blame, we choose somebody that cannot defend themselves because that would reveal the ruse. It would say, oh no, we're, uh, if, we, if we blame it all on this person, but then they fight back, everyone will think that we've lied. So of course, scapegoating doesn't solve any problems. It just satisfies the masses for a time being until everything, you know, rivalry and conflict pick up again, and then it reaches fever pitch again. And then the cycle has to restart. You have to pick a new scapegoat. I mean, it's a, it's a totally broken system. And from, you know, like a, a thousand foot view, like we can see it and we can think like, yeah, that's terrible. We shouldn't do that. But this continues to play out. It continues to play out in human civilization, uh, like again, across cultures, across uh, uh, history. And the other thing is that this plays out in smaller ways. Like uh, maybe these are the ones that are harder for us to see. It's, it plays out in interpersonal ways in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our friend groups, in our communities, right? We, we, we blame shift and we seek revenge, right? Like it's his fault, scapegoating. She made me do it, scapegoating. I will get them back for this. Revenge seeking, scapegoating, right? They, they need to feel what it's like, what, what I feel. They need to feel it scapegoating, revenge seeking, and how the cross comes into this, whether we're talking about, you know, big people groups that are being scapegoated, or I'm scapegoating somebody in my, in my community, how the cross comes into this is that God breaks the power of scapegoating and blame shifting with, with Jesus's death. So Jesus comes on the scene when yet again, a powerful group in society is trying to blame somebody for their problems. And God in Jesus says, okay, you demand a victim, I'll be the victim. That, that is quite a, an audacious move by the God of the universe to say, oh, okay, here's your human like system for solving problems that's so broken. Okay, well, I'll just come and be your victim. The God of the universe will be your victim in your, in your broken system, and then you'll see how broken it is. And, I, and the idea here is that something spiritual happens. When God enters into the, the human like system of demanding violence, things break down. It breaks the power of that violence. It's uh, the, this, you know, because this is, this is the God of the universe incarnate. It brings divine solidarity as, uh, as, as, uh, as, as Lester is talking about and protection and healing to the people who would be scapegoats. So in some ways, Jesus is standing in and saying, I'm going to, I'm going to shield others from danger. But then the other idea is even if you end up being somebody who is scapegoated, you now have the God of the universe on your side. And then finally, it shows the power power of forgiveness. A, a central passage to this view of the cross would be Jesus on the cross saying, I, I forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. And that is such an important passage to this because the idea is that Jesus becomes the victim, but then refuses to use his victimness as a weapon. To He, he stops the whole cycle of today's victims becoming tomorrow's scapegoaters and shows us how we can do that and how we can participate in that. So this feels... That I like this one. I like this one because it 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 gets rid of that inconsistency that we were talking about before of like Jesus and God doing something different. Jesus's life is seen as on the same uh, 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 doing the same thing as the cross, as as Lester was talking. But also, we don't have like wrathful God and then loving Jesus. There, Jesus and God are on the same are doing the same purpose. 
Um, and I, I just, to me, I, I've never been able to sit with this idea of a bloodthirsty God. And so to see that, yes, there is, there is violence in our world and there is people who, 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 who seek hurting others to solve their problems, but we don't see our God doing that. We see our God fundamentally confronting that. That's so important to me. Yeah. I think that's, I love that you mentioned that because I, I, there's this idea of a, a wrathful God that um, in some ways can be good news for mm. people who feel yes. oppressed or people who are oppressed. I mean, if you're a, a slave, it it probably sounds like good news that God's going to come down and, and spite your, uh, your masters. Your enemies. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And take them down. But what I love about the idea of kind of stopping that cycle is, is while that can feel like good news. And I think we should acknowledge that that can be good news for those who are oppressed. Um, it can also be easy to continue that pattern. I've certainly found in my life that, you know, when we try to think about the oppressed, sometimes, it can stir up resentment. And, uh, you know, I, I can speak, speak for myself that there's plenty of times I've uh, passed through wealthy neighborhoods uh, <laughs> and been quite angry just at the idea of the amount of wealth they have while yeah. people starve. Um, but like you said, that can create a bit of a cycle. Uh, sometimes we want to seek revenge. And I think... I forget who said this, but it, it, it makes me think about this idea that um, we shouldn't be searching purely for revenge, but more so it's it's the love uh, for those who have been hurt that drives yes. us. So yes. it, what's your motivation? Is, is your drive just revenge, just to get back, just to, to feel good that someone uh, was punished or is your motivation out of love for the oppressed and the hurting yeah there's a there's a distinction that is made in a lot of these conversations around uh what's happening on the cross um which is the distinction between retributive justice and restorative justice and so if you are somebody who cares about justice like we were saying like um, the idea, uh, the the images of a wrathful God that um, that you know, like you're talking about, like the the redeeming part of that is the idea that like a God who will not let um, you know the 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 tears of every uh, person who has been hurt uh, go unnoticed, right? The God God that God sees, and so there there is where like the redeeming picture of a wrathful God. God sees the hurts that are done to all of God's children, um, but there is a difference between. So what does God do? What, how does God establish? justice in response to that. If it's retributive justice, retribution, we just get the continuing of the cycle, right? It's, it, it, it is not Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. It is 
you know, Jesus on the cross with like middle fingers up in the air or something like that, I guess, which would be a very different image. And uh, uh, so that's retributive justice. But on the on the uh, the alternative is restorative justice. And this is the idea that like th those hurts get get recognized. And and the fact is, is God is on the side of the humble and not the proud. Right. So if you are among those proud that have. Uh, sent Jesus to the cross, or if you are among those proud that have lynched an individual in, in American history, if you are among those that are uh, engaging in any one of these scapegoating ways in our current contemporary context, whether interpersonal or big picture, then you've got to understand, if you want to be on God's side, you have to side with the victim. And so like that, that matters, that's there. But the, the, uh, the, the delivery of, of like that justice to you is not retributive. It's not, and because you did it now, or now you've got to feel what we felt. Right. It's restorative. It is saying we are restoring what was rightly stolen or was it what was not rightly stolen from this individual, from this victim. Uh, and in that way, again, God chooses to side with the victim rather than with the, uh, the perpetrator. There, there's something here from uh, from the chat that I want to bring in because I think it's a it's a really interesting question. Is um, we're we're engaging in all of this conversation around Jesus's crucifixion, Jesus's death. Uh, we 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 cannot. Uh, take really Jesus's death and not talk about Jesus's resurrection at the same time. And so there was a question about like, you know, like if we're moving away from this idea of substitution, does that make the resurrection less powerful? And I want to, I want to suggest that from these views, not at all. I think it actually makes the resurrection more powerful from a solidarity perspective or from a breaking cycles of revenge perspective. And the, the reason I see Lester, I'd be curious to hear what you think, but I'll, I'll, I'll respond and then I'll let you respond. Uh, I think it makes the resurrection more powerful because what we see in the resurrection is the guarantee of hope and a future and God being with you, even if you do not see justice in this lifetime. And I think that's what's so important is that like how many of us, we look around and we feel despair because we do see, we are able to see like, hey, that's scapegoating. What's happening in, in Ukraine is scapegoating. What, why, why can't we stop this? Does that just mean that all hope is lost if we see it and there's not enough human uh, activity and, and, and courage to confront it? It, it, no, there is hope. There is a story beyond this, and it is uh, the the hope that resurrection offers. And so, what Jesus, the, the reason that something spiritual happens when God gets in the fight of ending scapegoating, when God gets in the fight of trying to be uh, in solidarity with those who are on the bottom of uh, of of, uh, of our societies. The, re the reason there's hope is because it's not just what can happen, what we can see, but it's that the God of the universe sees those tears and will not let them go unnoticed. And we can see that in the power of the resurrection. So that, that that's a little bit of why, like, I, I still feel really driven toward uh, all the power here. Lester, I'd be curious, what, what would be your response to that? Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I, th I think it's a, a message of hope. Um, I think one of the reasons I would also agree that in a way it, it makes the resurrection even uh, more significant is when we talk about um, it being the crucifixion being solidarity and, and the ending of, of this cycle of violence, we're not putting the onus on God for that violence, if that makes sense. So we're not saying, well, God is gonna hurt us and then there's a re resurrection. Um, instead, it, it's kind of like 
this cycle of revenge and pain that we tend to do to ourselves. It, it, it's that blood thirst that we talked about earlier um, that we tend to do to ourselves. And there's some hope past that. So I like that. I, I think that goes back to the, we keep using the word consistent and inconsistent to describe these. It, it feels more, um, I don't know, like you don't, you're not wondering and questioning um, is, is, is God for us or for me? Uh, there's, there's a clear feeling that like, okay, well in matters of injustice, God is clearly on this side. And so, and it, it does, it does, it is a huge question to me, whether I'm going to join that God or not join that God, whether, you know, God, uh, wiping every tear from every eye is going to be good news to me or bad news to me, like you're bringing up. Um, so there is choice involved, but the idea that, um, that we we have a picture of that God that uh, that first does the violence to us to then save it from us save us from it in the resurrection that just feels too inconsistent and 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 so I, I yeah I would I like I want to underline what you said one one last thing and I'll just throw in before we uh, I, I we do need to move into our last uh, section here but I just think it uh, a really helpful idea uh, that was pitched to me uh, recently is that generally when we talk about the cross in substitution terms it's always framed um, it's always framed for the sake of the person uh, who is the perpetrator rather than what we were talking about before of like God chooses the side of the victim in a, in a situation of injustice. And so um, the way I heard this phrase was uh, we need to have a salvation, a an understanding of the cross that is for the sinned against as well as for the sinner. And so we do need to talk about like, what does it mean when I am a perpetrator, when I am somebody who finds I'm experiencing regret, how do I join this God uh, who is of solidarity and of breaking cycles of revenge? We have to talk about that, but that can't be the only thing we talk about. We also need to be able to talk about those people who were sinned against, that the cross needs to be good news to them. And that is what I think uh, your 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 understanding of 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 uh, that we're talking about James Cone's idea of the Jesus uh, on the cross as solidarity for victims. It begins with making sure that we see God is there for the victims, and then we talk about what does it mean that God is also there for the perpetrators. But it begins with the victims because we put them first. Uh, that to me feels more appropriate. All right, well, we wanted to move to some suggestions for how we might, if we have been swimming in the world of Jesus as substitute religion for most of our lives, how do we live ourselves into new ways of thinking? How do we, uh, how do we, uh, how do we, uh, address the fact that we can't just uh, turn our brains. If if this sounds nice to us, we can't just automatically believe it. How do we live ourselves in new ways of thinking? So, Lester, can you begin with a suggestion for us? Yeah, I I think uh, a, re a relatively simple uh, suggestion, but one that I know can be hard for us as adults um, is to seek solidarity with your community. Um, so to me, the one of the biggest parts of solidarity is community. Um, if you think about people doing uh, like mutual aid work, as an example, um, you want to be in the community whenever you're doing that work um, and you want it to be reciprocal. You know, you wanna have people that you can lean on um, and that can lean on you. And so 
being with your community to me is, is one of the biggest parts I know for me working, sometimes it can be hard to like carve out time, but I believe we talked about last week, uh, inviting one of your single fam single friends over for dinner. I think that's part of building that community that, um, you can be in solidarity with whenever you do go through hard times, whenever you do need a shoulder to lean on. Yeah, I think uh, understanding that solidarity is not some like cheap afterthought, but it's everything is like so important. And um, and so just a, a an encouragement to lean into solidarity because you will need it at times is super yeah. important. Another thing that we can if we can kind of pair that with is like practice solidarity with somebody who you know who is in pain. To, you know, give uh, bring them a meal or buy them coffee or something like that is a really helpful thing we can we can do. Um, uh, another thing that I would uh, kind of bring us to as we point as we as we're in Holy Week now. You know, today we we're supposed to be considering the death of Jesus, the crucifixion, all week here if we're in the Christian tradition. So what I want to say is like almost, um, I kind of want to encourage a mantra, like, like just repeat to yourself throughout this week, especially as we get to Good Friday, repeat to yourself, the cross is about solidarity and breaking cycles of revenge, not substitution. The cross is about solidarity and breaking cycles of revenge, not substitution. I mean, it, like, it, it's going to be really hard because again, automatic, the automatic belief in America is Jesus died to save me from my sins. And what that means is that I'm terrible and God wants to punish me, but God punishes Jesus instead. What if when we say Jesus died to save me from my sins, what we mean there is Jesus died to bring me solidarity and Jesus died to break cycles of revenge. And we, we just, we repeat that over and over and over to us. That's what I'm going to suggest to you because when you get to Friday, I promise this week will be like every other week in American life and you will have all kinds of things that happen to you. And there will probably be something else that appalls you morally that happens in the news. And you're going to get to Friday, just like every other Friday ever and feel all kinds of things. And I want the opportunity of good Friday to respond to those feelings for you to not be in the similar way that we're talking about, like the cross of Jesus is not like this, this like left turn after Jesus's life. That's all about solidarity. God, I want Good Friday to actually show you that like Good Friday is the perfect thing to mark when you are in the midst of a hellish busy week that brought you all kinds of uncomfortable feelings. It is the perfect thing to mark because any peer uh, like pain or fear or anxiety that you're feeling, you can look to Jesus to bring you solidarity, to be with you in that. Or if you are feeling mad or overwhelmed, the cross says to you, you are courageous and capable enough to live out your values and not choose revenge, even though you're mad, even though you're overwhelmed. And if you're experiencing regret, oh, this is a hard one because regret is like the thing that substitution responds to, right? Like if you, if, uh, if you're feeling um, regret and then, you know, uh, so you must be a terrible person and then somebody pitches to you, Jesus as substitute, you're like, well, then that must be it. But what if, what if, what if solidarity and breaking cycles of revenge responds to regret even better? because they don't carry shame with them because you don't end up having to decide that like, and the reason I need Jesus as a substitute is because I'm so rotten and awful. What if instead the reason you need Jesus to die and to show you that you, you can forgive even when you are a victim is because we're all so hurt all the time that we just want to take it out on other people. It's not because you're rotten. It's because you're hurt. And so what you need is healing, not punishment. 
You need healing, not punishment. And that, I mean, that to me just responds so much better to regret because I feel it. I want to take it out on other people when I'm mad, but God can heal me so that I don't have to do that. Not God can punish me so that I, I, I don't have to do that. So that, that's what, that's my encouragement is just like, keep that mantra going in your head because whatever it is you're feeling this week, I think these can respond better to you than Jesus's substitute. And so when you get to the point where you're supposed to be considering Jesus's crucifixion, it actually makes sense to you. It's not something you have to search for. Yeah. Um, another thing I, I want to add thinking about um, uh, the, the cross kind of centering those who are oppressed and hurt is for us to also do that in our lives. Um, and I do yeah want to name that you know the the oppressed are also people who have <laughs> varying views and stuff so you know how, however it looks to you i i would just say we should center the oppressed and the hurt in our theology and and whenever we move in our lives and so i think some of the work that we've been doing here is a great starter for that um certainly for for me it's gotten a whole bunch of things I want to start looking into, uh, such as womanist theology, queer theology. I think centering those who have been oppressed in our society is is a big part of this and like showing God's love on earth. So, Yeah, I think back to a little bit of what we were talking about in our um, giving up Christian supremacy talk a couple of weeks ago, which was like going and actually trying to uh, learn for the sake of treating somebody else as like as somebody who not, not as like an object for me to like, oh, I, I can, I can be more uh, woke or understanding because I learned from this person, but rather like genuinely expressing curiosity about another human being, especially if that human being experiences things differently because of the way they look or because of their identity is so, so valuable to allowing us to be ready to experience the God of solidarity because we are going and being in solidarity with another human being that that's such a good suggestion. Yeah. That builds us for this. That that allows us to believe in a different way. Um, I'll I'll throw in one more, and then maybe we'll do like a final thought, Lester, before we pray. Does that sound good? Yeah. One one last suggestion here is um, if you find yourself in conflict, to resist blame or shame or using your victimness as a weapon. And this gets back to what we were talking about: that difference between being retributive and being restorative when something has been something is a wrong and you need justice. And so whether this is interpersonal or whether this is, you know, bigger, bigger things in life that are beyond just you, resisting blame, resisting shame, resisting using your victimness as a weapon is so important. I, I think what I want to say is it will, if you're doing it right, it will feel like a death. It will feel like you are joining Jesus on the cross. And uh, like by definition, it will not feel satisfying to resist using your victimness as a weapon. There's there's energy when you like, yeah, and you know what? You know, fill in the blank. I, 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 uh, there's energy in that. And so it makes us feel better, but it eventually dies and corrodes our soul. And so the idea is like, it will feel a little bit unsatisfying, but if you stay with it, what we have to believe, if we believe in the God of death, and resurrection is that resurrection comes, that you will actually feel satisfied by God if you stay with this. And I have experienced this. I have experienced that sometimes not even venting to a dear friend when I feel hurt or betrayed or neglected or targeted, not even that brings me what I'm longing for. And so, but, but if I am able to stay with 
I will, I will not use my victimness as a weapon. I will not take it out on this or that person. When I'm able to stay with that, I find that resurrection is true. I find that God meets me. I find that the eventually the volume knob does go down on that energy to fight back or let him have it or seek revenge. And uh, I, I can only believe that, you know, like if you take a, a 10% step, then God takes the other 90%. Because that that is the God that we follow in Jesus, and so I, I I submit this to you: of resist using your victimness as a weapon when you are in conflict. It will feel hard. It will feel like a death. If there's ever a week to try it, though, it's Holy Week, and I think that God will meet you in that. Lester, any final thoughts before we pray? Actually, no, because I really like <laughs> I liked where you landed. So all right, all right, thanks. I appreciate I appreciate the uh, the encouragement. Um, well, let me pray. <clears throat> God, this is um, this is connected to um, this is connected to things that uh, that rile us up because maybe maybe we've been pitched a picture of you on the cross that has hurt us. Maybe we're some one of those people who has experienced shame, or maybe we're one of those people who has experienced. Uh, the the anxiety like the am i right with god or maybe we're somebody who like bends towards skeptic and we just like have always sat on the fence with faith with uh with believing in you know or, or following jesus because it's just like it, this part has always like felt wrong to us i wonder if you are speaking something new to us this morning as we talk about this if that's us if we feel like something new is being spoken to us and it feels like it's releasing us from some chains or it's like water on dry land or any one of those good feelings, we just receive it. And so if that, if that is any of us this morning, I, I pray on behalf of you to like, let this kind of wash over you, let it wash over you all week, this week that we're supposed to be considering the death of Jesus and let that be a wonderful consideration a consideration that makes us feel like we are not alone in the things that hurt us a consideration that makes us feel like in 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 the in the worst problems that our world is facing we have a god that is showing up to that stuff and not asleep on the job and then in the ways that this plays out for us personally where it's just really hard not to say it's his fault it's her fault they made me do it it's just really really hard not to do that what does it look like for us to resist using our victimness as a weapon what does it look like for us to get our needs met when we're in those places of feeling harmed but not compromise our values. What does that look like? It's so hard to do that. It is such a fine line and there's no like glossary that we can just look up and say, oh, okay, somebody said something to me that was racist and so this is what I do. Or somebody said something that was a microaggression because I'm not a straight individual and so this is what I do. Or somebody said something like this about, uh, about family and my family doesn't match that and so I actually felt really hurt by that. What do I do? Somebody outright just like said something mean to me. What do I do about that? There is no glossary. 
We don't know. It involves moment-to-moment guidance. And so God, guide us. You are the God that shows us what you're about on the cross. And you can guide us in the conflicts that we are facing right now, in the things that persist that are difficult for us. You can guide us moment-to-moment. I pray that we would be ready and available to hear your voice as we need to this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.